welcome to Gutsy Matters Podcast, brought to you by storednaturally.com. I'm Wendy Allen. And I'm Helen Reynolds. Gutsy Matters Podcast is for independent thinkers who aren't afraid to stand out from the crowd. Our conversations are with people who, like us, are willing to create something they believe in, something that helps us all to live more sustainably, more consciously, and with greater connection. We're delighted you're joining us to discover, uncover, and create opportunities and perspectives about health, wealth, and sustainable living. Hello, and welcome to the Gutsy Matters podcast. I'm Helen. And I'm Wendy. And today we're talking to Randall Breen. Randall, Janita and their family live in the beautiful Goombra Valley in southeast Queensland in Australia. And uh, they farm beef cattle and free-range pigs and poultry. So welcome, Randall. Thank you. Great to be here. And Randall, can you just start off by just telling us a little bit about what you do and and what you farm down there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a... um uh, we describe ourselves as a stacked, integrated, multi-species farming operation, which is a bit of a mouthful, but um, essentially we run, we run multi-enterprises on our farm, but um, the focus being that they're complementary to each other. Um, so our, our core value is um, regenerative agriculture, trying to regenerate our landscape um, and the enterprises that we, we operate um, are beneficial to the to the landscape. So we run pastured poultry, um, uh, grass-fed um, cattle, and and pastured um, pigs. Um, and then we we take the, those enterprises, then um, we direct market into into the community. So we we produce eggs, beef, and pork. That's a lot of that's a big job direct marketing and growing it and looking after the land as well. Yeah, there's there's multiple levels and you have to wear a lot of hats all at the same time. Um, I guess the challenge for us is that being a relatively small land mass, um, we really have to maximise our return for each each thing. We're not we're not producing huge numbers of um, of products, so we really have to take um, everything all the way through to to retail sales so that we can maximise our return and, and stay viable. Um, yeah, so the, the whole concept is, is owning each leg of the chair, I guess, is the best, the best way to describe it, so that um, yeah, it, it then is able to make our small family farm viable. So your part of the world has, as much of Australia has been um, under severe drought conditions. So, what have you? What have been the challenges with with the drought and, and feeding the stock? Yeah, so it, it's been it's been a pretty uh, pretty rugged, I guess, three years in total. Um, the last two have been significantly difficult. Um, we're running at well under uh, a third of our our usual average rainfall. Um, so that's dealt out some incredibly challenging. Um, issues to manage. Um, obviously, our our herbivores on the farm, being our cattle, are, are grass eaters, um, and so when we don't get moisture, we don't grow grass. Um, so that's been a real a real challenge that we've had to do a number of um, destocking, meaning um, moving animals on from our landscape, and we've done that through um, increasing our land area through adjustment. So we've found other farms that. 
that in other areas that have still got some grass that we've been able to send livestock to so that we can we can keep them fed. Um, and then our our omnivores being our, our chooks and our pigs that, that aren't just um, grass eaters but eat um, a, multiple, a multi diet a lot like us humans. Um, we've had to look at other ways to bring um, food into into the the system that perhaps is an unorthodox angle. Um, I guess as grain has become more and more expensive due, due to the the widespread drought, producers of grain um, are finding it really difficult, and it's in short supply. So therefore, the price goes up. Um, and and both chooks and pigs, being omnivores, need grain in their diet. Um, and so we've had to start to explore alternative feed sources for them. Um, and that's where we've started to to look into things like waste stream feed. Um, and yeah, it's become a major element to our farm. We've, we we have a, a four principles which guide our decision making on our farm called the four goods. Um, and so they are good for the animal, good for the land, good for the farmer, and good for the consumer. And so those four goods have always been um, a directing um, guide for us. And so it, it became quite a natural progression to start to look at waste stream because in terms of um, the land on a broader scale, more than just our farm, and also for our for the good for the farmer element, from a financial point of view, um, it, seemed, it was a very natural fit for us. What, what do you call it? Waste stream. Waste stream. Yeah. So we're, that's that's probably the industry um, term, waste stream. Um, so basically, it's byproducts from the food manufacturing industry, um, and um, basically, say for example, uh, maybe there's a pumpkin manufacturer who's making. Um, pumpkin puree and they'll buy large loads of pumpkins in and then they they peel them and take out all the seeds and then so they have the pumpkin flesh that's left over but from their point of view the rest of that that skin and that seed becomes a waste product and generally that stuff is all being um, put into landfill which generates huge amounts of um, uh, gases, greenhouse gases, as, as it decomposes, because it's not like a giant compost bin. It's actually a, an anaerobic, which which causes methane and does a whole heap of um, negative polluting. Um, and so we saw an opportunity to try to grab hold of that stuff and repurpose it, because the reality is that it's it's not waste at all. Mm. It's actually a resource, and it, so we have started calling it yield stream. So trying to change that that terminology because waste Im- immediately creates a negative connotation to what that product is. Whereas if we call it yield, in terms of it has a it has a value. It's something that has been produced from the land and has extracted energy from where it's been grown, and then um, we want to try to capture that energy as a feed source back to our livestock. So we have slowly but surely um, developed relationships with a range of manufacturers and producers, and we, we're now um, our pigs primarily, um, our chooks a little bit, and our cattle a little bit, but primarily our pigs are almost 100% fed on yield stream or waste stream that comes from food manufacturers. And just to be clear, for the sake of the 
general community, I guess, right now we're speaking about um, fresh food waste as in pumpkins and potatoes and things like that, not cooked food waste. No, that's exactly right. So there's a big difference. Um, so we're not talking about swill here, which is an, a term used to describe um, table scraps that might come from a restaurant, um, you know, that, that either meat products that, that might be um, cooked up. And so all of that stuff's a big no-no, a big no-go. Um, what we're talking about is pre-consumption food. So um, before it ever hits the table of a human consumer or or even into the um, the food chain, this this is stuff that is that is um, pulled out prior to that. So um, so like I was saying, it might be pumpkin skins that are cut off pumpkins prior to cooking. Um, it's even uh, say carrots that aren't that are too long for sale or cracked or split. Um, it may even be uh, we were getting the external leaves off cabbages. Um, prior to them going to sale. So we would get, you know, um, a big load just full of um, the outer leaves from lettuces and cabbages. So it's all that that, um, product that humans perhaps have been conditioned not to eat. And, you know, there's a whole different conversation around the consumption process and eating the whole um, product. Um, But, yeah, so it's all uh, pre-consumption. pre-retailed um, food byproducts. So where do you get the food byproducts from? I know you said you it was from farm food manufacturing industry, but whereabouts do you get it and, and what sort of quantities are there and available for you? Yeah. So there is it, – we, it was a real eye-opener for us. So we've been doing this for um, just coming up two years and when we first started we just – we weren't sure how much we'd find, um, but it has been – astounding to see how much of this product, um, this yield, is just being put into trash compactors and then and then put into the ground. So we, all of our byproducts predominantly, probably 90% of it comes out of manufacturers in Brisbane. Now when I say manufacturers, um, one of the main sources we're getting at the moment is um, what's known as um, brewer's grain or uh, beer porridge. It's basically the, the very initial stages in the beer making process prior to it becoming alcoholic. The first step is where they take um, malted barley, so the barley's been sprouted and then cooked to, to create the malt that then is soaked and um, the sugars and that are extracted from that barley. But then what's left over is like a, uh, a porridge. Um, it's a wet um, barley and it it basically at the end of every um, initial brewing um, through these breweries that are popping up all over the place, these guys have to get rid of this stuff. And so it is an exceptional feed source for both cattle and pigs because it's it, it's not like a hard grain that can be quite um, a challenge on the digestive tract. It's all been um, pre-soaked and processed and it's like you've got barley sprouts essentially which is soaked in water. So that's one of the things that we're collecting. Um, we turn up there on their brewing days um, and they dump that straight into big one-ton bins and, and put it on the back of our truck and we bring it home. And then the, the other the other main things we collect is 
Um, yeah, food, uh, vegetable offcuts. So um, some of the bigger prepackaged meal producers, um, we we take their their um, offcuts. So we'll get a bin full of um, ends of beans, like the little stalky bit. Um, we'll get cabbage leaves, uh, pumpkin seeds and skins, that sort of stuff. And then the other thing is we work with a manufacturer of sauerkraut in Brisbane. So they, they're producing sauerkraut and all of their byproducts. So um, we say that our pigs have got the best gut health of any pigs in Australia because they're living on sauerkraut. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And it, it, yeah, so they're probably the main things. And currently we're bringing home anywhere between uh, five and ten tons of this stuff per week. Yeah, so we're we're sort of nudging five hundred tons a year um, in terms of um, repurposing this stuff and diverting it from landfill, which we're very proud of. Um, but it really, it is not, it's not even touching the size of how much waste is being generated. It's quite astounding, and um, we have noticed not only from the end of the manufacturer struggling to understand that it's not waste, that it's actually a a valuable resource, but even from what's been really interesting, some of the other producers, the farmers out here, struggling to understand how it might be able to be entered into their um, chain of management because of the stigma of you know, and it's really just the language of what it's called. And are the producers, uh, you know, where you're where you're getting the food waste from? So the manufacturers. Are they finding that it's quite handy that you're taking some of this waste off their hands or are they starting to realise that there's value in, in this for them? Um, well, the, the big value for them is um, we're offering to pick it up for free. So um, we're not having to pay for it. So that's the huge benefit for us. Like we, There's management challenges for us because um, most of the time we have to be there when they're ready. So that can be a challenge logistically for us because – you know, getting in and out. We've got other things to do on farm, and we're, we're you know we're managing a farm enterprise. Um, but we so but the benefit to us is that so long as we have a truck and we can get there on at the right time um, and working with them, then we um, we're not having to pay for this resource. But the big benefit to those manufacturers is they're currently paying huge amounts of dollars to waste facilities to to dump this stuff. Which is so we're assisting them dramatically with their bottom line um, because all of a sudden it's gone from some of these guys are having waste management bills in excess of five grand a week um, and then that's that's going down to zero. So you can imagine how keen they are to to offer the mm. the, the option. There is definitely there, you know um, it can't be understated some of the management challenges. Uh, are very real because it's it's not like their their bags full of grain or something like that. Like a lot of this is wet product, um, and so there's there's definitely management challenges. But we found well, it saved our farm through the last two years of drought, and um, our anim- animals have stayed healthy. Um, and yeah, we've we've produced some some high quality livestock. Um, as a result of... Your pigs would be able yeah. to outrun anything chasing them. I yeah, all those right. vegetables. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, you know, they have a nice, very um, diverse diet, which um, we all know that that's 
that's critical to our own health. And I guess, yeah, it's uh, you were talking about your your four goods earlier in when we were discussing um, your farm. I mean, it's really a, a four wins, isn't it? Too, it's it's wins for the environment, it's wins for the pigs, it's wins for for the manufacturers in terms of them saving costs, and uh, yeah, it's it's a win all round. So it's a it's a excellent um, process that that you're going through, and I'm sure um, it'd be great if if more people took it up. And and in saying that. I know you spoke to me some time ago about what actually is in the food waste and you've outlined that today. Some of that that you actually collect, I know you've said, is still good to eat, which was interesting. Can you just elaborate a bit on, mm. on what actually you pick up? And, and and I know you've talked about the skins and things, but there's some other products in there as well. Yeah, so it's, it's quite amazing to see within, and I guess it, it would relate back to um, you know food safety and airing on the side of caution, but these big manufacturers are often um, turfing out things that are perfectly edible, um, but they may just not fit within the parameters of what they're looking for. It might be size, it might be um, appearance. Um, we, we've even seen if if things are dropped onto the floor in these big um, food manufacturers, then it's instantly discarded. Um, and and so we it, it is. We've often bought home loads of um, apples, sweet potatoes, things like that, that are perfectly fine. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's not uncommon for me to be snacking on an apple as I'm throwing apples over the fence to the pigs because they're such, um, they're, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And so it, 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 it's pretty heartbreaking to see that this, this, the food system doesn't have um, some way to try to intercept that process because, you know, for example, I guess if for the apples, if um, some a manufacturer is using fresh apples and, and somehow that is deemed to be contaminated, be they fallen on the floor or something like that, but it would be interesting to see if those apples then could be then redirected into uh, a cooking process somehow, which then would render them safe again. If you look up these statistics um, in terms of food wastes, an estimated 20 to 40% of fruit and vegetables are rejected even before they reach the shops and the supermarkets and, and mostly because they don't match consumers and supermarkets' high cosmetic standards um, that, that are actually, they're actually fine. And I guess that's what you're saying with these food manufacturers as well. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's $8 billion of is the value of the food, edible food, every year that we waste. And the highest percentage of that is the fresh food. It's it's 33%. So, I mean, we do as a, as a as an world consumers everywhere need to look at why, yes, why are we doing this and, and how can we avoid it? Have you got any thoughts on, on you know, how we avoid so much food waste given that Australia um, and the US are the highest um, in terms of ratios of food waste in the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the the core issue there is scale and distance to market, and and how many hands that that each product um, the food passes through in order to get to the end consumer. So um, I say to people when they we have farm tours here on the farm, and I say for every hand that touches a piece of food that isn't the consumer or the farmer's waste is generated. So the, the, the key in my book to, to reduce waste 
is to try to have the least amount of hands touching that product from when it leaves the farm to when it ends up in the consumer's hand. And so ideally, from my point of view, as a, as a small-scale direct marketing farmer, the best relationship is a farmer-consumer relationship where I produce the food and I hand it to the person who's going to eat it. Because the reality is when we do that, um, there is no waste because um, I can repurpose anything that can't be used by a consumer back on my farm. So, for example, um, I'm, I'm direct marketing my eggs, so I grade them and pack them myself. Um, any egg that doesn't meet um, human consumption, be there cracks or blemishes on that egg, um, I then can um, compost that egg and use it as a fertiliser back on my landscape. So I have zero. Um, but if, if I then took those eggs and gave it to an on-seller, he then buys a little bit extra just in case so that he doesn't run out, um, say buys 5% more than what he needs, those eggs then go out of date. How do, what does he do with them? He has no way to repurpose that eggs back into the landscape. So it's put into landfill. And so each time we go through another person, we generate more waste because each each organisation, business or um, group is going to get a little bit more just in case they, they run out or just in case they need a bit more. Um, and, and invariably, those products don't make it through to the end consumption um, of the, by the consumer. The closest thing we've got to that at the moment is the farmers' markets, isn't it? The farmers' markets itself is a middle a middle ground for some stalls in between the farmer and the consumer. Yep. There might yeah. be a stallholder who goes to various farms and collects produce and then takes it to the farmers' market on behalf of the farmers. And then sometimes farmers like yourself can go direct yep. to the consumer yeah. through the farmers' markets. Yeah, so that- they're probably the, the, the two main ones that people are aware of. Another one, which is something that we operate, is called a CSA, which is a community-supported agriculture, which is, is taking that to the next level where we engage directly with the consumer and they sign up as part, almost like a partner in your farming practice. So they, they, they commit to you for a period of six to 12 months, sometimes paying in advance to enable the, the farmer to to kickstart and they're assuming some of the risk with you. So therefore, they're even more invested in the farming process to ensure there's minimal um, waste because the, the benefit to them is if you have a great bumper year, they get extra product. So that, that's... So how do people, how do people get involved in a, in a um, community-supported agricultural system like you've got yeah. running there? Yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's a great resource um, that, called, I'm trying to remember, it, um, CSA Australia, I think it's called, um, but it, and, and, they can, and they've got a whole great big list of farms that are operating CSAs and that they're from vegetable producers to meat producers to, there's even some flour CSAs in Australia where you can buy cut flowers um, as part of a, a community supported agricultural model. Um, but it, you know, it, it is really it's taken off in the US and is still very new in Australia. Um, but more and more small scale farmers who are trying to uh, claw back um, financial viability for their farm are moving into this model. So, what an excellent idea for both consumers and the farmers, and as you say, avoiding food waste by 
by having that reduction in, in the amount of hands that touch the product if, if people can go direct to the farms through that sort of a system or or as well as farmers markets that, that farmers yeah. go to as well and and um, buy their and their fruit and vegetables there. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge problem uh, across the world and, and I know they, they're talking about agriculture production having to double in Australia um, and no doubt in other parts of the world as well to, to be able to feed the world when really we've got all this food that's um, being wasted. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one, in, one, in, one in five shopping bags are being thrown out. So if yep. we didn't throw that out, how many more people could we feed across the world? That's exactly right. And, it, it, you know, the, the frustrating thing is that we're hearing um, all this talk about we've got to ramp up agricultural production in order to feed, is it, is it 15 billion people worldwide by 2050, I think the words are, we, you know, basically double our current, our current size. And, and, and everyone's asking how is this going to be done, but the reality is we're already doing it. Um, and with some very minor improvements in our agricultural practices, um, along with reducing um, our actual um, food waste, trying to streamline that process, um, then you know we could do it tomorrow. It's uh, very minimally just by sharpening up and, and increasing our our view on the value of um, food production at the moment um, you know, we're throwing half it away and not and not seeing that as a valuable resource and I think if once we can change that mindset and I think that's about um, getting the connection closer between farmer and, and consumer or consumer or foodie or eater whatever we call it but um, I've heard other people are calling we should start seeing ourselves as food citizens rather than consumers because we've all got a vested interest in how our food is produced. Fantastic, Randall. What a great note to uh, to finish off on. There's so much there for people to think about and um, I really commend um, you and Janita at Echo Valley Farms and Goomba Valley for doing what you're doing and leading the way because it's really refreshing to hear and I think there's a lot of people, consumers and farmers, who um, can well take a leaf out of your book and, and listen to what what you're saying. So thank you so much for for being part of our Gutsy Matters podcast today. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. I love to talk about food and how it's made. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure. So we can find find you, Randall, on the web at www.echovalley.com.au. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation and know people who'd be interested in knowing more about this topic, then show them you care and send them the link to this podcast. Keep up with our Gutsy Matters conversations. Subscribe and share with your friends. For extras, follow Stored Naturally on Facebook and Instagram. Gutsy Matters podcast is brought to you by Stored Naturally. We are the creators of the all-natural hemp fresh produce enhancer, for longer-lasting and healthier fresh food kept in the fridge. Available at storednaturally.com. <laughs>